Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 32nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. Kyle, how are you doing on this Valentine's Day today? I'm doing great, Cameron, because um, I'm loved. Oh, that's good. By you guys. Oh, yes. And our listeners. I hope. I hope. And by our listeners. And the love is mutual. Of course. Now, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the basketball game you attended this past week. Uh, Missouri State was playing, remind me. Uh, Illinois State. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Missouri State for the second podcast in a row. Um, <laughs> but we this could not go unmentioned. Uh, yeah, I was at the Missouri State-Illinois State game. I'm sure you've seen the highlights, uh, but uh, Missouri State was down by five points with 13 seconds to go, took the ball down, got an and-one layup, cut it down to two points, stole the inbounds pass. Well, the inbounds pass kind of starts rolling around. Everybody, There's a massive scrum on the ground. Yeah. The brother of Michael Dixon Jr. picks up the ball. Jared Dixon is his name. Picks right. up the ball, chucks it from half court, and banks it in. And Missouri State beats Illinois State by one point. That was number one play on ESPN's top ten. Yeah, Sports I think Center's he top got 10. it off with point one left. And I happened to be there with my wife. And honestly, it was probably the greatest inning to any basketball game I've ever witnessed. And I, I was at... I've, been, I've seen some pretty crazy games. I was at an NCAA tournament game a few years ago between Texas A&M and Northern Iowa, which I think is like statistically the most improbable comeback <laughs> in any basketball game ever. So I witnessed that. But this Missouri State game was awesome, and my wife literally like almost tackled me in joy, <laughs> and I almost fell into this old man next to me. But uh, it was a fantastic experience. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a scrum like that result yeah. in a shot like we've seen buzzer beaters mm-hmm. we've seen three-quarter court buzzer beaters but for there just to be so much chaos there yeah. and one guy just come out with it and chuck it up yeah so much happened in that last like five seconds of that yeah. I, I remember even thinking like okay the ball's just yeah it's, usually just time's just gonna run out kicked around yeah. a little bit it's time the, expires yep. it's over that was crazy um i'm excited to talk about a couple news items right off the bat here uh first with Mizzou basketball and Ronnie Suggs. Shout out to Ronnie Suggs. He has earned himself a scholarship um, for the rest of the semester and summer. So this actually, uh, he was awarded the scholarship, I think about a week ago now. And um, some people were thinking it was directly after the um, Arkansas game, but it was it was a little bit before that. And it just wasn't really publicized until a little bit later mm-hmm. yeah but, good for Ronnie um, <clears throat> obviously we'll talk about him later in the podcast because he was kind of the uh, unlikely hero of the Arkansas game um, made some really clutch plays down the stretch but uh, yeah good for, good to see him on scholarship uh, it would be uh, yeah it, it would be weird to not have him on scholarship as much as he's been playing lately yeah. um, and with, with Christian guests um, transferring that freed up a, yeah. a scholarship yeah, so if my math is correct, I think we've got one scholarship to fill still before next year as it stands. So I believe they're pursuing Myron Gardner at the moment. Right. Uh, so if they they might be able to grab him to fill that last spot. Um, and then there's always the potential you know, transfers and roster attrition and stuff. Right. So they might seek out a, a you know, grad transfer or something like that. But It's, um, it's tough to say. I mean... 
you basically have to go until the second semester starts of a season to even know what your final roster scholarship situation is going to look like. Oh yeah, for sure. Because things were changing literally until now with the scholarship count. So exactly. And roster attrition happens every year, no matter how good or bad your team is. It seems mm-hmm. like somebody leaves for, for whatever reason. So yeah. Uh, but congratulations to him. And like you said, we'll talk about him more shortly. Um, football news. Uh, first thing here is I'm sure you've seen that football season ticket prices are going down. Yeah. And that was kind of a universally applauded decision. You don't oh, see yeah. a lot of those where just everybody's on board with a decision. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, the national trend everywhere in every sport is attendance is, is genu- generally declining just because you can get an amazing uh, you know experience watching games on tv for free yeah. and you don't have to leave your home right. so of course there's going to be less people at games than there used to be or whatever um so it just makes sense to lower the price because um, the value of the tickets just may not be as high as it used to be exactly so um yeah i think that's a really good change and and there's there's nothing more valuable at least as a fan in my mind to see a packed out stadium and to see the team energized by the energy of the of the crowd and right. um, i think that's that's the most important thing right here and then uh, following up on some Drew Locke news, Drew Locke-related news, um, it's been rumored for a while now that the Denver Broncos were sort of the front runners to potentially draft him, um, I believe, with the number 10 pick. And apparently John Elway was, was really excited about every time he got to see Drew Locke, he raved about him. And, um, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case anymore because they just picked up presumably their franchise quarterback uh, for now in Joe Flacco. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a surprise to me. Um, Regarding Drew Locke, a lot of stuff that happened, and I've said this before on the podcast, but a lot of stuff that happens pre-draft is is smoke screens, and Mm -hmm. you really have no, there's no way to predict, you know, what's going to happen. And sometimes, you know, GMs or, or owners will come out with, individual love for certain guys and and maybe they end up actually drafting them who knows but um i I still think that if they like drew lock there's still a really good chance they'll still get him because i don't think joe flacco is the guy for the future i think this might maybe a two to three year guy you know who who knows but i think they might want to pull the patrick mahomes thing and Mm -hmm. and have him kind of sit behind joe flacco for a year or two and that's probably best case scenario for drew anyway i i don't there's just not a whole lot of guys you can throw into the fire in their rookie year of NFL, and, and they just figured it all, it all out, you know. Well, if we're talking about the Denver Broncos, we should probably ask the opinion of our of our of the third person sitting here at our table. I don't know if this has been revealed to the listeners ever. No. Uh, they know that producer Cameron is a Nebraska fan, and now we have to break it to them <laughs> that he's also a Broncos fan. Oh, jeez. So from a Broncos fan, one last time, producer Cameron is a Broncos fan. <laughs> But, none, uh, but we are not. Yeah. You know, we can rest assured. <laughs> um, what, what do you think of this uh, Joe Flacco signing? P- keep it to, if you can, how it relates to Drew Locke and their future at quarterback. Well, before when you guys brought up that it was might be interesting since they got Joe Flacco, I was already thinking like they could potentially still draft Drew Locke. Right. Um, it wouldn't be the first time they've done that. Going back to Peyton Manning, they still were drafting guys so mm-hmm. we'll see okay i wouldn't mind having drew lock oh yeah i bet you wouldn't <laughs> no way likes those tall dark and handsome quarterbacks <laughs> paxton lynch who is the other guy uh who is kind of became like a meme in the nfl 
and kind of bounced around. After he he actually was okay for the Broncos oh, and then Osweiler. Osweiler yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, he likes those really now. those tall, skinny quarterbacks. <laughs> okay. Anything else about Drew Locke? I think that's it okay. for now. So, uh, following up on Missouri's battle with the NCAA and their um, sanctions and appeals, they the university has officially filed their appeals, and so that process has officially started. And um, I was reading a couple things that indicated this won't potentially won't take too long um this was going back to that first i forget his name now but he was like the chief whatever of the investigative something i think that was (laughs) was his official title and he was saying that once a team files an appeal there's just a, a pretty quick process it goes to the appeals committee which sounds fantastic and um then we get some sort of result but uh, the reason i really wanted to bring this up is because um there was an interesting interaction. Uh, Barry Odom was talking to reporters, and he mentioned the uh, Tennessee football team. Can you bring bring me up to speed on that? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, like you said, Barry Odom was just basically publicly called out other teams in the SEC, and even specifically mentioned Tennessee as teams that were trying to poach some of their their players because uh, the seniors on Missouri's team have been granted like immediate eligibility at other yeah. schools if they, ha- they, if they elect to transfer wherever they want and be and play immediately yes so that's obviously just just looking at that at base value seems like okay well certainly i don't blame them for wanting to look around and to right. see what my other options that's are worth there's, considering there's some really good players in their yeah. team that could, might have good opportunities somewhere uh so barry if they odom, wanted to play in the postseason exactly so barry odom specifically calls out tennessee um I, there's a couple ways you can look at this as a fan I really, I really love Barry Odom's enthusiasm and just how he's willing to stick up for uh, the, the university and the team. And obviously, he doesn't want to lose his guys, so it's really, really frustrating, I'm sure, for for him. Um, and he's, it's almost like he's just publicly embarrassing Tennessee. So now his players are not going to go to Tennessee because right. it's just he just embarrassed them. But um, I, I think it's a little interesting that he specifically named like another school. I, I don't know, like if I would have done that personally, but. Well, now, did he actually say Tennessee? I know he referenced a, a team that we beat 57 to 17 or whatever it was. Right. And which obviously was Tennessee. Yeah. Which I don't, that's yeah, you're the right. same he as naming them, actually, I guess. Yeah. But. He may not have actually said the word Tennessee, but he pretty much singled yeah. them out. So uh, for the most part, I, I think I, I like that he that he kind of stood his ground. Yeah. And... Said, it's hey, not going to just be like, oh, uh, yeah, Tennessee, uh, yeah. do you want me to help you set up interviews with some guys? Exactly. Like, uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what I would do if uh, if it roles were reversed, if Tennessee or whatever another SEC school was in Missouri's shoes right now, and maybe I would think it was – would I blame Barry Odom for not looking at those opportunities? I don't know. You can't really blame Tennessee's coach for right. for seeking out these guys who may be looking for an out so i don't know but i do think it's it's kind of a dangerous situation for a coach when when you're talking about a guy in barry odom that didn't do anything wrong this was happening the the what caused the infractions happened before he was head coach and now he's in a position where he's having to fend off conference rivals for some of his seniors and you have to think well if i was a coach and something that I can't. I had no control over happened, and now my guys can walk anywhere they want. I don't know. I feel like there's maybe some sort of like mutual respect or unwritten rule where some coaches would just be like, you know what, 
let's not get involved here and just wish them the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it it brings up an interesting point about the SEC, too. Do you think the SEC should step in and just kind of and I mean, I, I think it would be weird if they did something because it, technically it is the rule right. that they can do that. Yeah, but um, I, I think know. no, I don't think the SEC should. I think Tennessee is harming themselves more than they're helping their situation by attempting it, because as we know, they are not a well liked fan base in the SEC from other fan bases. So any chance, and for Tennessee to be as bad as they have been the last two years. It's kind of like, oh, really? You're just trying to poach some seniors off of a, a team that got slapped with ridiculous, ridiculous sanctions. So, I think when not just Missouri fans, other fans of other SEC schools look at that, they're thinking, "Wow, Tennessee, is that really a move you're going to try to do?" And I just think in the long run, it won't, it won't be a positive, you know, thing mm-hmm. talked about about their coaching staff and stuff. You could. Uh, recruit against them using that information and things like that yeah you're right uh it's kind of one of those situations where it just kind of depends on your perspective based on your fandom if you're a tennessee fan you probably see nothing wrong with it right. if you're a missouri fan you're ticked off about it so yeah. and i think it would be a little bit different as a missouri fan i i, I don't really care mm-hmm. i think tennessee is shooting themselves in the foot a little bit um if it was like alabama or auburn or lsu or a team like that that came calling for like the three or four best seniors on the team i would be like okay that be a little scared a lot yeah. more and i'm not I agree. excited about that at all yeah uh and I, I will add at this point it doesn't seem like barry odom expects anybody to leave but who knows right. at this point so it's not like tennessee is uh guaranteed to go to the postseason next year anyway <laughs> exactly what if somebody left went to tennessee and then they didn't make a bowl <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing I feel like anybody who now this may come back to bite me I, I maybe shouldn't speak out of turn here but I feel like if a player were to transfer there's a decent chance that this was just an opportunity for them to leave when they were thinking about it anyway it's possible and maybe this just gives them a, a better a better public reason yeah like, or just the fact that they wouldn't have to sit out yeah they're thinking well i was thinking about transferring anyway yeah i mean that's if i was a player who was thinking about transferring anyway and then this happened i yeah. feel like my bond would either be strengthened a ton or i'd be like okay this is my chance i'm out of here mm-hmm. and i i feel like as a player i might be kind of worried about not necessarily worried but i think it'd be in the back of my mind how am i going to be perceived Right. If I do this. Well, I think anytime a player transfers, that's, I mean, they're Ultimately. still college kids. There's still going to be some of those thoughts about, you know, the fan base, people mm-hmm. tweeting at you and stuff. And right. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things and you should do what's best for you. But right. I think it'd still be in the back of my mind. Like, I don't really want to make this entire fan base angry, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well. Indeed. All right. Well, let's move on to some basketball games that were played. I'll be honest with you, I don't have much to say about the Texas A&M game. Um, Missouri played a a good first half. Um, Things seemed fine at halftime, and then Texas A&M scored 47 points in the second half, and Missouri just kind of fell apart. And I don't really have a great explanation as to why. Yeah, Texas A&M was actually really efficient um, in the second half offensively. Uh, Obviously, Missouri played this game without Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith. uh, So that hurt them on both sides of the ball. 
but but A and M was just getting to the basket in the second half. They were they were making shots. They were driving in. They were getting to the to the rim easily. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's the part that Jeremiah Tillman like that's his spot i mean mm-hmm. he deters guards from getting to the rim yeah and fairly well i i love you know these young guards but you know they definitely have had their defensive struggles at times this year and definitely the second half i mean they're trying their hardest it's just sometimes it just doesn't doesn't happen when your um, game plan when your game plan revolves around knowing tillman is back there right you know you can it's not the end of the world they can play super aggressive on their on the opposing guards knowing that if they do get around them mm-hmm. they as long as they're quick on their rotations Tillman will cut them off and as long as they rotate correctly it'll be a, it'll be fine yeah and well I mean you're just not going to see the same interior defense without him out there mm-hmm. and yeah TJ Starks have, has kind of struggled um this conference season for how good he's been in the past uh but he definitely looked like his old self in this game and uh, was scoring at will at times and just easily get into the basket. So, uh, yeah, this one was was definitely disappointing. Um, it hurt that we didn't have Jeremiah Tillman, and I thought that it was going to be because he kind of tweaked his knee in the game before this. But I guess he had emergency wisdom tooth surgery, is what was uh, had four cited. Four wisdom teeth taken out at the same time. Yeah, so I think he later said in, in the interview after the game or, or maybe it was the interview after the Arkansas game that mm-hmm. his teammates weren't real happy with him. Yeah. I don't think the coaches were really, were very happy with him and thought that maybe he might be able to play through that pain. Uh, but he just described it as, I, I guess it kind of got infected or something. Right. So he's like, it, it hurts so bad. I can't play. <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of, of disappointment uh, among the team. And I think we probably win the game if, if he's playing and, and it's a hundred percent, but I'm not going to, get mad if he can't play so yeah, no it happens mm-hmm. um i don't know that i just with those mitigating factors and i don't know that this is just a game that i think will just kind of be forgotten about because i've already kind of forgotten about it yeah um if if our season was um if we, if we were maybe making a tournament run or around the bubble, I think this would sting really bad. Yeah, and maybe even Jeremiah. Even if plays, we were about two games in conference better than than they are right now, it would be a pretty different yeah. feeling. I think. Yeah. Um, so, anything else about that before we move on to Arkansas? It was a much more enjoyable game to watch. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I have to say about A and M game is Reed Nico, please don't ever dribble. And uh, that's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> He needs to learn that move that uh, Tillman actually does it really well. Just the, the receive the pass and just go up with it. Yeah. Like Nico always receives the pass and then looks straight down at the ground and like bends over <laughs> and then dribbles it once and then just it gets stolen or he gets like yeah, squatted or something. Tillman is textbook for keeping the ball high yeah, keep when it he high, catches just, it. I mean, it, it moves maybe six inches total and it's up off the rim into the basket yeah. or getting dunked. He's really good at that. Yeah, yeah he needs to, to teach... Uh, read that because I don't think it would be that difficult it's more of just almost like an instinct thing right yeah alright I had to get this, that off my chest on to this Arkansas game much much better game to watch uh, Missouri came out on top by one point and they seemed to be in control virtually the whole game um, Tillman bounced back after his wisdom tooth surgery he had 21 points on just 11 shots and then he was also five of six from free throw so um man that would have been nice to have the previous game but overall i thought they played really well 
especially the first half. The first half, that's the most points they'd scored in the first half this season with 46. Um, second half gave up a few more points, but it got close several times, but they were able to hold on, and the finish was really exciting and nerve-wracking, and I thought they were going to lose it again, but thankfully they held on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you said it. I mean, the first half was, was crazy. It was really fun. Uh, Gafford was still amazing, and we couldn't stop him, but other than that, there was nothing overly threatening about Arkansas in the first mm-hmm. half, but you kind of you knew they'd make a run. I mean, their, right. their guards are, are really good shooters, and they've had they've been good lately. Um, so you knew that that they would not just just lay down and die. Uh, Gafford ended up finishing with twenty six points yeah. on twelve of seventeen from the floor. It's pretty impressive. Um, he's going to be probably a top ten pick mm-hmm. in the draft. Do you think this year? Um, yeah, I would say right around there, right around right around tenth. Yeah, probably incredibly impressive. Give or take two spots um but yeah and we talked about ronnie sug earlier on this podcast and uh he honestly like he played six minutes yeah six minutes at the very end of the game he and makes they were a three incredibly meaningful yeah, yeah. He, he makes a three and then he drives and and makes it like a little floater and then the very obviously the very last play of the game arkansas has the chance to to win the game on the last shot and uh they, they get the ball to about the free throw line and and throw a pass to gafford and uh Suggs just bodies him yeah. and just jumps up and, and knocks it out of the air and saves the saves yeah, it the day. Was, it was just up for grabs. I yeah. mean, it was a 50-50 ball, and he competed as hard as he could yeah. to just not let him catch it he cleanly. He, like, sacrificed his body. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know how tall Suggs is, but I'm pretty sure Gafford's got at least four or five inches easily on him. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, that, I mean, we don't. I don't think we win that game if without Suggs. I mean, maybe other guys step up, I don't know, but we needed every bit of what Suggs gave us. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts specifically about the last uh, 30 seconds of the game, um, specifically when Pinson got called for the push off. Man, it seemed like I shouldn't when I have uh, Jordan, when I root for Jordan Geist, I shouldn't be able to criticize any other teams flopping. But man, it seemed like Arkansas was flopping a lot. Yeah. And uh, the point guard, Harris, um, he just kind of flailed and uh, let me get your thoughts on it first before. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I agree that they flopped, but also Pinson's got to be more careful. Yep. So it's kind of, they're almost both at fault, I guess, if you want to phrase it that way. Pinson just can't, he can't make any motion at all in, in pivotal moments like that that look like he might be pushing off, but I also agree that they flopped. Yeah, there so, was that like above the basket kind of angle down on it, and mm-hmm. you could see that the contact did not create the reaction oh, sure sure absolutely and that it's frustrating but when it when it matches up so perfectly to where it looks so it looked like a push off mm-hmm. you just can't do that i think he did it like two possessions in a row too i think he might have gotten away with it like on a on the earlier well, possession that, before yeah, that's that or thinking, something I'm like thinking that that's why he uh harris knew to flop that's the second time right. he was probably like okay if you're gonna you know, give that little mini shove. I'm just gonna take advantage of it. I mean, what's he got to lose there? As a competitor, you got you have to. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to do it. And I don't blame the Arkansas player at all. And yeah, I love when guys does that kind of stuff. He he gets probably at least one foul a game just mm-hmm. by dribbling down the floor and then like doing a little shoulder fly yep. if somebody touches him. Yep. So. But I also thought that Gafford was flopping in ways that 
I feel like he's got to kind of get that under control or he's going to get hurt or somebody else is going to get hurt that he falls into because it just seems like he's just hitting the ground all the time. Remember when in the, uh, yeah, I know. Remember in the first half when he like looked like he was having like a kidney stone or something just <laughs> yeah. because Reed just like barely put his elbow in his back. Yeah. It, it looked um, like, I mean, he was backing up hard into Reed and then Reed like came forward with mm-hmm. his lower body at the same time. I don't think it was actually the forearm that really caused the, the pain or whatever he was feeling but i believe i think that they hit each other hard yeah. but it's I'm, not like i'm sure it was uncomfortable but yeah. he looked like he was dying exactly. and i was like i actually said out loud i think i was like ah, he'll be back in like in a couple minutes <laughs> right. and then and he was yeah so um so in that moment when pinson got called for the foul were you thinking that like it was all it was over like what uh yeah <laughs> i was getting pretty nervous um and that that was before the Purrier to tillman play right Purrier had a nice interior pass to tillman for the dunk to put him up by four was that um, foul after that foul was, was, after. was after it okay yeah. yeah i can look up the play-by-play but that uh Purrier, i want to talk a little bit about the big to big passing in this game because Purrier. That was such a good play that he had to Tillman there. It was mm-hmm. incredibly clutch and just exactly what the team needed right there to get a solid bucket. Yeah. Yeah, Perrier had eight points in this game on three of five shooting. Uh, and I think most of those were in the first half. Mm-hmm. So obviously Perrier has realized at this point, I'm struggling. Yeah. And I can't I can't put up double digits every game or whatever maybe that I used to that I used to do when I had a larger role on this team or whatever the case is but I love that Perrier's finding other ways to involve himself by you know his defense and his passing and um yeah we, we may not win this game if he did you know didn't find Tillman on that on the play that we just talked about yeah uh, who knows so in, in this close of a game you know if one of these plays didn't happen we, we may, maybe we lose so uh but I thought Perrier still played a, a really good game so uh, Tillman made his dunk f- on the pass from Perrier. Penson was called for a defensive foul. Jalen Harris made two free throws. Um, Geist got fouled, made one of two. Then uh, Missouri was up by three. Then they had that really nice Harris to Gafford alley-oop um, that was just like picture perfect. Oh, yeah, and I was going to s- say something about that play, but, but continue. And then so that put – Arkansas down one then Pinson got called for the push off and because it was an offensive foul there's no free throws it just changed possession mm-hmm. and that was with 10 seconds left oh, okay yeah yeah that's that's what set up the last possession yeah. okay yes I I was like okay here we go um <laughs> I remember at that being point down being only up one mm-hmm. it's like uh this but is, I have you're just to say begging to be beat in regulation exactly but I have to say that the play the fantastic execution of the of the alley-oop to Gafford, mm-hmm. uh, their second-to-last possession. I'm really glad they decided to run that play there because you could tell it was their go-to. When we need a bucket, we're yep. going to go to this play. And they did it again on the yep. last play. And Konzo saw it coming. And he, oh, yeah. like, he was just like, whatever we're going to do, it. do not let that happen again. Yeah, so they, they switched one through five. Tillman was talking about it on, the, on his post-game interview, but they, they switched perfectly. They saw it coming, and that's what set up Suggs to make yeah. the, the great defensive stop. Yeah, you're right though. If they if they had gotten a bucket any other way and saved that play for the next possession, I think we lose. Yeah, probably losing overtime cuz they just executed it so well Missouri didn't know what was coming. Mm-hmm. Um we were talking about Kevin Perrier and I thought the we've talked about how the weakness for this team all season has been the four spot most of the time. Um 
if you're just looking at a spot on the floor that's been that has struggled. Um, I noticed in particular two possessions that I want to talk about. One with KJ Santos at the four. Um, Tillman was basically being he was being fronted and then also being helped on a little bit from uh, KJ's guy, the guy that's supposed to be guarding KJ. So KJ in that spot, you see it over and over again. The four is supposed to flash to the free throw line, to that high post area, take the pass because his guy's helping on Tillman, and then either score from there or find Tillman. Usually what they do is dish it off a big-to-big pass to Tillman for an easy dunk or foul or something. And when that happened with KJ Santos on the floor, he didn't do it. And Conzo was screaming at him and pointing to the spot where he's supposed to be. Finally, he got over there, but it was late. The play, they, they saw what was happening because me watching on TV saw Conzo yelling at him to go to this spot. And it I think it ended in a turnover. But then flash forward like five minutes of game time, uh, Mitchell Smith is in in the game. He flashes to the to the high post exactly like it's supposed to, gets that interior or that entry pass. Then the guy that was fronting Tillman comes up to him. He passes it right over his head because he's super tall, and Tillman turns around and dunks it. It mm-hmm. was just picture perfect. And I think that's exactly the play that happened with Kevin Perrier to Tillman exactly. at the end of the game as well. Um, so I didn't like watching that. I was like, okay, good for. Mitchell Smith to make the play there like he's supposed to but more than that I was thinking oh man KJ Santos not being where he's supposed to be on offense that's um troublesome yeah uh there's been a lot of talk about Santos online uh in various Mizzou related forums and stuff in the last couple weeks and uh I I mean I can't say that I blame anybody I mean everybody's been complaining about Kevin Perrier too but I mean Santos just has not brought a lot to the table and I don't know if he still has a lingering injury with his foot I don't know if he's still kind of just figuring out schematically what Mizzou's doing kind of like you mentioned he he looked confused at times definitely um he looks like he lacks maybe some athleticism that I thought he might have and part of that again might still be his injury but I, I watched even recently I watched like his highlight video from his first year of college at um Illinois Chicago mm-hmm. I think and he looks super bouncy like mm-hmm. he shoots he shot really well he has some really crazy like put back dunks yeah. and stuff and I just I haven't seen that this year and I don't know if that has anything to do with the system that Mizzou's running uh, offensively or what but I just have not seen anything from Santos as what I thought we might get yeah he's not getting a ton of playing time um be, partly because he hasn't earned it and per year is on those like just schematically understanding what you're supposed to be doing per year is there every time. And if Mitchell Smith is making the plays that Santos isn't, he's going to get that, get that time. And if he can, if he's confident to pull the trigger on a three and make it every once in a while, he's going to get those extra minutes of the four. Um, I still think you got to just remember that Santos is a sophomore Mm. and he is the one, it's not like he played a sec season as a freshman. He played in a, uh, lower tier mid-major conference so I think it's just going to take some time yeah I it, still think he has the physical tools that we see I mean you see all the time a guy in his junior and senior year just steadily come along to the point where they're a solid contributor as a senior yeah and a lot of that is 
confidence and playing time and experience and he's not like you said not getting a whole lot of playing time right now so it's hard to establish confidence when you play six minutes a game or whatever it is that he's playing so i don't know like i I want him to be in the game more because i think he's got a high ceiling and i want him to figure things out but it's like we almost can't afford him to have it to we can't afford to have him in the game because he's just not bringing anything right now yeah and you could deal with you could deal with some lackluster defense um if he was bringing something special on offense. But, I mean, we've talked about before, when he's on the floor with Ronnie Suggs, and Ronnie Suggs now is looking like much more of an offensive threat than Santos, although Santos has had his moments. But when they're on the floor together, it's like, wow, we've got two spots here that are not going to be contributing offense. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I've definitely thought that in the last few games. At times, we've got a certain rotation in the game where it's like literally Jordan Geist. like is the only one on the floor that looks like he's confident taking right. a shot. If you've got, you've got to hope that Tillman's out there with him. Exactly. But if I think he's it was not, the A and M game because yeah. Tillman was out. And right. I'm just thinking, guys, is the only person on this entire lineup that's going to shoot the ball right now. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention though the fact that with Mark Smith being out and man, this injury has lingered much longer than I expected at the beginning when it first happened, but. Um, being able to play Geist and Pinson together has been pretty huge. Yeah. I don't know if Konzo would have experimented much with that um, if it weren't for the Mark Smith's injury because now we have minutes at the two that you got to fill. And having two like really solid point guards as far as their decision-making and just ball handling, ball security most of the time, I think that's been really good to see them just get through some of those dry spells on offense just by having two guys that can create plays for other people mm-hmm. yeah it's going to be fun <clears throat> to watch Penson throughout his Missouri career because he's already a lot of fun to watch um, when he truly becomes a, a great college basketball player which I think he will be um, with you know limiting turnovers and, and really making the team better which I think he already has gotten better at doing those things he's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch mm-hmm. I think so um I want to say one more thing about the four spot. It's wide open for Trey Jackson next year. I mean, if, I think he probably starts at the four if, next if year. If he can come in and have a good off season and preseason and just show that he can contribute something on offense and be decent on defense, I mean, he could have probably as many minutes as he wants at the four. Yeah, Conzo's just begging somebody to be a consistent threat at the four right now. He's he's just cycling through those guys, just hoping that he can get anything. Exactly. And with, I mean, with Perrier being gone, you're talking about like 14 minutes a game, 10 to 14 minutes a game coming into the four spot. Have they experimented at all with... Maybe pick it at the four. Kind of uh, picture a uh, 2012 Frank Haith team with Kim yeah. English at the four. So, yeah, they have played a little bit with Tillman at the five and then basically four guards. Mm-hmm. And with like. Uh, it would be interesting to see. Uh, they must have not been very successful because I don't think they've done it a whole lot. No. But it would be interesting to see their efficiencies with four guards. Um, I guess if you want to call it the four in a four guard lineup, yeah. pick it probably would fill that role the best, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It'll be interesting. Um, I was I was playing around in my head with future lineups, and I just kind of was looking at the roster and how things could go the next couple years, and we could potentially be looking at a lineup of a senior Drew Smith, senior Mark Smith, a junior 
Javon Pickett, sophomore Trey Jackson, senior Jeremiah Tillman. And uh, Penson and, and Penson, uh, Watson, Torrance, Watson coming off the bench. Mario McKinney. Yeah, I, I definitely think this program's headed in the right direction and has a pretty solid foundation of, of young guys right now. And I, I know we've talked about that before, but whenever these guys grow up a little bit and have some, some time under their belt a little bit that they've played together and stuff like that, I think they have a chance to be really good in a couple of years, maybe even be okay next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important, obviously. I, would, I don't think it would be a stretch to say this is going to be this is definitely going to be one of, but I would go out on not that long of a limb and say this is going to be the worst season record-wise potentially that Conzo Martin has in his whole career at Missouri. I hope you're right, but um, I could see how that's possible. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at five, potentially four or five SEC wins, that's usually like a low mark for a, a coach. Mm-hmm now <laughs> coming off of the three seasons that we had before him i mean we've matched the, the missouri tigers this year have now matched the highest conference win total under kim anderson and have already surpassed the total best win total mm-hmm. under kim anderson so yeah i mean in some ways this is kind of almost the first year of the rebuild um because last year was just kind of weird, you yeah. know, with like the Jonte. And, but if you have Jonte this year, then it's like, and well, I guess we're just skipping a rebuild. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> even if you're a few games Pretty over much. 500, that's not much of a rebuild. Yeah. In, it's a lot better than it, than it was. But yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it really is almost like this is the, kind of the first year of without all of those just miraculous additions that we had from last year that happened to almost nobody. And right. Well, and when you when you're when you're handed Michael Porter Jr. and Jonte Porter, you're not going to go, okay, well, that's nice, but um, we're going to you know, just focus on recruiting freshmen and um, we're just going to build sure. this for the future. You go, okay, we've got something special here. Let's grab anybody and everybody that can contribute day one. Ten out of ten times. Yeah. Got off on a little tangent there, but anything else about this Arkansas game? Not really. Uh, it's good to beat Mike Anderson. It's good to beat Arkansas at oh, anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was a fun game. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to playing Isaiah Joe for probably three more seasons. Yeah, he's, he's a good player. Yeah. It seems like Arkansas always gets those quick guards that can shoot. Yeah. They always have somebody like that. I think they're one of the front – I think they're the front runner according to um, 24-7 Sports to Land – Moses Moody, I think oh, is his really? name. Yeah. yeah, I think he's playing at Montverde in Florida this year. But he's from. I hope I'm getting the guy right. Yep, he's from Arkansas, and he's uh, favored by far to to end up at University of Arkansas. So, and he's uh, ranked 36 in the country. So, hopefully, Missouri will keep up with Missouri recruits of their own. Um. I don't have anything left for Arkansas, so let's talk about the games Missouri is going to be playing. Their next two games are finally against teams they haven't seen yet this season. <laughs> we talked about last week how it was weird, like Missouri's like basically every team they've played, they've played again already, almost, yeah. it seems like. And now we're gonna play four teams in a row that they haven't played yet. So it starts off at Ole Miss on Saturday. 
Ole Miss overall is 17 and 7. They're 7 and 4 in conference, and they're ranked 37th in Ken Palm. And this is the first season for Kermit Davis Jr. at Ole Miss after 12 seasons under Andy, Andy Kennedy, who um, is calling games now for SEC Network. And yeah. of course, Ole Miss uh, was, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say. They messed up Missouri's uh, season a little bit last year by just uh, coming into Missouri Arena and upsetting the Tigers in a game mm-hmm. that Missouri should have won. Should have won. Yeah, I definitely remember. We talked about going to that game last yeah. year, and, I'm, and we kind of just for whatever reason. Oh, we backed up. It was like icy. Up. Yeah, it was bad weather, so we backed out last minute, and I'm really glad we did. I think yeah. you came over and we watched it or whatever. But Yeah, that was part of the curse. It was definitely <laughs> very cursed. Um, but, yeah, Ole Miss has like, been really surprisingly good this year. Um, I think it shocked a lot of people when they fired Andy Kennedy because mm-hmm. it was like, okay. He'd been one like, of the best, yeah. like, stretches they'd had ever yeah. when he was there. And uh, he had made the tournament several times and stuff. So, yeah, it was a little bit surprising. But they look super smart now, at least at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, they've already got uh, – they've beaten Auburn twice this season. Uh, they've split with Mississippi State this season. And they've lost to – their four losses in conference play came to LSU – Alabama, Florida, and Mississippi State. So they've had a tough schedule so far, and they've made the most of it because they're they're in line to go to the NCAA tournament because they've had they've got a good resume, they've got good wins, and um, I mean zero bad losses at this point. Their worst loss this whole season is on the road at Alabama. Or on the road at Butler, who's a ranked around 50th in Kempom. Neither of those yeah. are very bad losses. So they're they're looking to take care of some of these seemingly easy games against uh, Missouri, Georgia. They play Missouri twice and Georgia once down the stretch. So if they can take care of business there, they'll be locking up a pretty decent seed in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, like I said have been surprisingly good. Uh, I remember, I think the first game I realized, okay, Ole Miss is actually for real, was when they beat Mississippi State on the road earlier in the SEC. I remember yeah, the, watching some of that and game. And that was back-to-back wins after beating Auburn by 15. Yeah, I think that was when I was like, okay, they, they really mean business here. And yeah. uh, they, they've been good since. I mean, they, they've struggled a little bit, um, but as most teams do in conference season, uh, at least first stretch. But... Um, they, and they also uh, have Blake Henson, who I thought Missouri was going to get. Yeah, a lot of people thought that he was going to be a Tiger. I remember at the time, uh, Blake Henson just kind of randomly commits to Ole Miss mm-hmm. when it seemed like Missouri had like, you know, 100% almost chance to, to land him. That was about a month before Jonte uh, declared that he was going to return. And I remember thinking, and I still don't know if this is true or not, but it's just something I remember thinking and I remember even tweeting it on the on our account, and people were just like, all right, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I remember thinking, is Blake Henson going somewhere else? Because Does the coaching staff know something about Jonte that we don't know? And looking back, it's very possible that they you know, told Henson yeah. to, uh, to move on. I don't know, but I really wish that we, would ha- we, that we had him now because oh, he's, yeah. he's been really good this year. Yeah. Um, he, as a freshman, is their fourth highest uh, scorer, and... He's been starting a lot of games, and they, they've got a they've got a really good offense. They're ranked 29th in Ken Palm on offense, and um, 
they shoot threes well. They've got three guys that shoot around 40%, and then Henson is there at like 36%, 37% as a 6'7 forward. Yeah, so. picture a uh, more athletic, better shooting Kevin Perrier. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what Blake Henson has been at least this year. Even They even kind of look similar, Yeah, like similar build. Um, Ole Miss is led by Brian Tyree, who averages 19 points per game, and then uh, Terrence Davis is another guard that averages 16 points per game. So it's going to be difficult to slow down their guards, I think. Mm-hmm. And if they're on, and they're they're playing at home, so if they're on from three, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like be, Auburn, yeah. where they're just they're going to make shots. Yeah. And can we respond? Pretty much. Yeah, that's one thing uh, we've said it. I think every game for the last four or five games now, it'd be really nice to have Mark Smith back for this one. Um, they Ole Miss is, I guess, one weakness. I mean, they're pretty solid all around, but they. They will lose games, so, and they've lost games at home. But um, you got to take advantage of them by shooting a lot of threes. I think because their three-point percentage defense has struggled at times. So that's one thing to look for. But overall, I think that they're really solid. They have a really solid offense. I don't think you can take away just one guy or even two guys, and they'll still find somebody, some way to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking for this game? You thinking? Uh... Oh, did you talk about their uh, if they force turnovers or not? If, uh, you know, I think it was just middle of the road because I didn't uh, note that specifically, but I can tell you that right now. Their defense, uh, they actually force turnovers a decent amount. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, 51st in the country in turnover percentage defense and 35th in steal percentage. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because do you remember last week when we were talking about the Arkansas predictions, and I said, I asked producer Cameron, is Missouri going to turn over the ball more or less than 13 times, I think was the number I put out there? Somewhere around there, yeah. And you said less? I can't remember what you said. I think I said more. You said more, and I said more. I said less, and I picked Missouri to win, and they turned the ball over 11 times wow. against Arkansas. You were right. Wow. You did it. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> However... I don't think Missouri is going to win this one. Um, if Mark Smith plays, I think they can keep it really competitive, and it could even be a loss that improves their analytic m- metrics or whatever on mm-hmm. com. But I think that they will lose. If Mark Smith plays, I think they lose by single digits. If he doesn't play, I'd say they lose by between 10 and 15. Yeah, I'm predicting this to be kind of a rough game for Missouri. I've predicted a 81 to 67 loss Yikes. for Missouri. Right, well, I hope I'm wrong. I hope you are too. But if they get hammered, maybe they'll bounce back for the home game against Kentucky. That'd certainly be nice. <laughs> Kentucky um, is 20 and four this season, nine and two in conference, number seven in Ken Palm. So you're looking at two top seven teams with Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, 17th on offense, ninth on defense. They started their season by losing to Duke in the first game of the NCAA season, and they were also upset by Seton Hall. Both of those were on neutral floor in non-conference. And they lost their first SEC game to Alabama, and then they went on a nine-game winning streak, and then they just lost at home to LSU on a questionable goaltending or offensive basket interference call. Or no call at the end. Yeah, I think it was a no call. Right. Um, But, yeah, Kentucky has been really, really good. And I kind of had my 
concerns about them. Or, I mean, I guess I wasn't concerned, but I thought they weren't going to be very as good mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, but they've really been putting things together. P.J. Washington is probably one of the better players in the country. Yeah. Uh, or, the, or the conference, at least. He's going to be first team All-SEC all for sure. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Coach Cal has probably some idea of what he's doing. So Kentucky probably. is always a very tough team, and they will be as well this year. Yeah. And we have to play them twice, too, right? We, we Do we have to uh, go no, to? Just once. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. And it's nice that we have them at home, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, P.J. Washington, like you said, he's – if it weren't for um, a player for Tennessee, that's really good. Williams. Williams. Yeah. Um, if it weren't for him, I think I – think P.J. Washington will be second in voting. I'm not sure, even sure how the voting works, if there will be a second, but um, he would probably be second by a wide margin, but second nonetheless. And um, they're kind of like Ole Miss on defense in that their only real weakness is a three-point percentage defense. But for Kentucky, they're even better at it than Ole Miss is, so... Um, you basically are going to have to come out, shoot lights out, and just hope that they have an off game on offense. Because hope they underestimate you. Yeah, and <laughs> um, they do play Tennessee on Saturday before they play Missouri. So maybe they'll just have an absolute brawl with Tennessee and just and maybe have a huge victory and just kind of sleep on Missouri or something and have like really sore feet and everything yeah, have it go to overtime overtime and they're just yeah, really tired six overtimes <laughs> maybe something like that um they've got PJ Washington like we've talked about they've also got freshman Keldon Johnson uh Bass Pro Tournament of Champions alum and he is a freshman who is shooting 40 percent from three um PJ Washington is uh, like six nine forward who's shooting 43 percent from three um Keldon Johnson also just gets to the rim basically whenever he wants to. So that that combo has been hard to stop for teams here recently. And if if one of them is off, the other one just kind of picks up the slack. Who did Keldon, Keldon Johnson play for in high school at, in the Tournament of Champions? He played for Oak Hill okay. with Keontae Johnson, who okay. was at Florida. I think I remember him now. Um. I just Kentucky's really good. I think they've really picked up steam in the conference season. They probably should only have one loss right now, and even that that Alabama game was a two point game, so they could easily yeah. be undefeated in conference right I'm now. Pretty sure all four of their losses have been well. They lost to Duke pretty handily. Yeah, but I think the Seton were, Hall was overtime. The rest of their other uh, losses have been really really close, like determined by just a couple of points in all of them. Yeah, and their defense has just been outstanding. So, um, I mean, like. They held South Carolina to 48 points, Florida to 54, Vanderbilt to 52. They held Kansas to 63 points, Mississippi State to 55. I mean, they, they've just had just impressive defensive performance after one after the other here lately. And I just don't think Missouri's offense is going to be potent enough to withstand that. No, I don't think so either. Um, I still think that it can be competitive um, at, at home. It's going to be hopefully a pretty rowdy crowd um and like you said kentucky's weakness is three-point shooting and it's what missouri does well so i'm hoping mark smith is back by then uh and maybe they'll they'll come out a little flat um against us um i don't know but i think we'll keep it close in the first half i still think it may only be a 10 12 point game that sounds about right so yeah i mean 
Missouri, a big difference. I, I always look at like how how do we know that this isn't just an awful team? <laughs> and I think it's just keeping keeping it close with these really good teams is huge. Yeah, we really haven't gotten blown out much. Yeah. I mean that the Texas A&M loss is going to be probably the worst one of the season. Even the game at Auburn was not ideal either. Yeah, but I still think that that. I mean, that was just expected, though. Yeah, yeah I mean, playing at Auburn is just tough with how incredible their offense is. But yeah, keeping it close at home with Kentucky and just showing up. This is going to be a national TV game, so looking good in front of the cameras is always a little bit important. But yeah, I don't think Missouri wins this one. I think, like you said, Missouri or Kentucky by a dozen or so sounds about right but if it's kind of like with Ole Miss you're just going to have to make your shots and hope the opponent has an off night shooting threes is is it can happen yeah what what are the chances what are the if Missouri and Kentucky play in Columbia a hundred times how many times does Mizzou win um probably a hundred times they probably win 20 times really yeah I was going to say so. seven. Oh. I don't know what's significant <laughs> about the number seven, but, I mean, you never know. We, we should try to make that happen. Uh, like, see hey, if they'll do you, a would you guys play 100 times 100 in a row? game series. Yeah, and also, <laughs> can you just somehow, for statistics, just not have any, like, intangibles in this game? You know, just, like, make it <laughs> seem like it's the first time every game. <laughs> right. Yeah, after you win two in a row, just you got to just completely remove that from your head. Like wipe their brain after every game. Yeah, men in black. All right. Anything else about this Kentucky game? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Well, it might be a rough week, but might that, be. That's okay. You might be looking at two losses. But Probably will. Look for you know you know what to look for to see improvement. Look for the the freshmen to keep playing as well as they have been. Um, I saw the Missouri basketball social media accounts were touting the freshmen yeah. the freshman numbers of the last few games with uh pickett watson and penson yeah they've been well-rounded group rebounding assisting yep take the opportunity to uh enjoy watching missouri play against some future nba players mm-hmm. against coach cal i don't know um if you're looking for any positives i guess <laughs> you never know you never know upset. never know but as Mizzou fans, we're really good at expecting the worst and then being pleasantly surprised if something good happens. Exactly. So. All right. So to finish this off, Kyle, and since it is a special holiday, uh, Valentine's Day, I thought maybe we could give some Valentine's Day gifts to the Missouri basketball team. And That sounds lovely. I will start off by giving them the gift of an upset win in conference play. I just want, we got four games coming up here at Ole Miss, home against Kentucky, at Florida, at Mississippi State. They're going to pull through and upset one of these teams. And spoiler alert for next week's game, next week's podcast, my money is on Florida. That's what I was going to say. Is it at Florida? It's at Florida. That'll be really tough. So I am giving Missouri the Valentine's Day gift of upsetting Florida on the road. Is the other one at Mississippi State? Yes. Okay. I think that will be my pick of those four games. 
but I don't really like their prospects in any of them, but uh, <laughs> that's the point of an upset is it's surprising. Uh, okay, that's a good gift. Yeah. That's a really good gift. I think they would like it. Um, that's a good gift, and I don't know what to, what to give as a gift. Um, I think if I could gift them anything, I would gift them the return of Mark Smith because they need him to shoot threes. Yeah, um, and to do other things. You can give me that gift for you can give me that gift for Valentine's okay. Day if you'd like. Okay, that, I want that as well. Well, in fact, I will, and he'll be back for Ole Miss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, Mark? You better be there because it's my gift. All right. Yeah, that's a really good gift. Um, I would uh, let's just give them the gift of no injuries the rest of the season, and off season, and next year, and the year after that, and forever no injuries. That's a good gift for them and for us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dare I say, give them the gift of Jonte returning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is there another holiday like between now and then that we can give them that gift on? President's Day? No, that already happened. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I think we're screwed. We can give, uh, we can give it to them for St. Patrick's Day or Easter. April Fool's <laughs> Day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Producer Cameron, get out of here. Get out of here. April Fool's Day that he's... Going to the NBA. Yeah. April mm-hmm. Fools, he's back. All right. You got anything else for the folks? Uh, I don't. Um, I do want to say that you have not missed your chance to get a T-shirt. If you give us a review on iTunes, just make sure you put your email address in there so we can contact you afterwards. Or um, tweet about us. Um, tweet your review of the show and tag us in it so we can. Um, we'll do another drawing to... Give, give away another t-shirt absolutely all right well that's it for this week uh you can find us on itunes google podcasts and spotify you can tweet us at mizzou sports pod and you can email us at missouri sports pod at gmail.com and you can find me on twitter at c underscore albert 08 thank you everyone for listening we will see you next week